Today's scripture will be from Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 38. It will be page 83 and page 84 in the Black Pew Bible. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides, within its horns. And you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding, on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them. And they shall be holders for poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, and in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall, be, shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year, Throughout your generations, it is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, this half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The, the rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half the shekel. When, the half, when, the, when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement from the money, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel, and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a bronze, a basin of bronze, with its sand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash, with, with, they shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that's 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall blend, and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand. You shall consecrate them that they may, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of any ordinary person, and you shall make no other like, like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. 
The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacti and onica and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of which shall there be an equal part, and make an incense blended as the Bible perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you to be the it shall be holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we acknowledge you are good to us. You've given us your word and you, you tell us that every verse, every text is inspired by you, was written down just as you would have it to be written down in the original manuscripts and it is profitable for us to study it and to know it and to memorize it and to obey it. And Father, we ask you would help us understand your word today. Father, as we study Exodus 30, may we understand it. And Father, may you give us grace to apply it to our lives. Help us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a, a community supply of cough drops here that for the praise team and somehow morgan i got a blue one and look i'm the pastor i just have one vote but i vote no on the blue <laughs> cough drop because they taste terrible uh, i don't know how we got a blue one in the yellow they were cheap yeah you get what you pay for right uh <clears throat> for me uh smells bring uh, back memories. Um, my, my grandmother, y'all know her as Miss Vi, I know her as Notesy. She passed away uh, last year, and um, we drive by her house, and my kids say, I'd like to go in there and see what her house looks like now. And I was like, I'd like to walk up the door and see if it smells the same, because it just had her smell. And it just brings back memories. Um, I, I can smell, we're, someone was talking um uh, recently, Marty, I think it was you, you were talking about the old school, and I can smell that old school walking down those halls, the smell of that school just brings back memories. Um, the city that we lived in, in in China, it had its biggest employer was a cigarette factory, and so you smelled cigarette tobacco all the time. But when I smell that, it brings back memories of our time in China. The, the sense of smell adds spice to life. And I think I've shared this with you before, but the last time I talked to my Aunt Myra, I've seen her several times after this incident, but the last time we actually talked, she gave me a, a shirt of my grandfather's. If you remember, Daddy Carl, he, rode, he wore what I call them Latino dress shirts. I don't know what you would call them, but did, he just had this little thing where he wore these shirts, and they were button-up, short sleeve shirts, and they just looked different, and I just called them Latino dress shirts. And I began to wear them because he did. And so I would buy them, find them places, and then, um, and then he would give me some of his sometimes. But she gave me this Latino dress shirt that my grandfather had worked, he had, that he had wore, and he had passed away several years before, but she hadn't washed it. And she hadn't washed it purposely because she gave me that red Latino dress shirt. She said, here, I want you to have it. And I took it 
and I smelled it. And I smelled it. It was a combination of Safeguard soap and electric shave. And I just loved it. And so I took that shirt home. I put it in my in my um, walk-in closet there, and I put it up on the shelf, and I would just, sometimes I'll just take it and put it back. And then I wore it. And when I got finished wearing it, I folded it up, and I put it back up there. And I'd get it down again, and I would wear it. And I wore it until it smelled like me instead of my grandfather. And I finally washed it. But it's something about those smells, isn't it? It brings back memories. Um, well, God is instructing the nation of Israel, these last five chapters, how to, he's instructing them on how to build the tabernacle and how to furnish the tabernacle. And we're here in chapter 30th, and we're going to finish the furnishing of the tabernacle. And as you walked into the tabernacle, into the courtyard, the first thing that you would see was the bronze altar as one entered the courtyard of the tabernacle. And the bronze altar is where the sacrifices were made. And if you think about on the Day of Atonement, there were thousands of sacrifices made. And as God is going to implement more festivals, more feasts, there's more sacrifice to be made. And then we've already talked about how there was a daily sacrifice of one in the morning, one in the evening. So there's a lot of sacrifices taking place on this altar. And you think about the sacrifices. I don't know if you've ever butchered an animal, but there's a lot of smells that go along with that. Smells of blood and death and entrails and dung all mixed together. You think about all the blood and all the death and all the smells that that would, that would kick up for the people in and around the tabernacle. Can you imagine that stench? I guess if it was a Yankee candle uh, scent, it would be sacrifice. Hmm. Blood, entrails, death, dung, right? Pewee, right? And it made me think about, I was preparing for this. We went on our, our art trip um, to Kentucky, and we stayed at Andy Lawrence, a friend of mine, his church. And we, um, I called him, and I said, hey, I, I've got a group. We're coming up there. Is there a possibility we could stay at your church? Do you have showers? He goes, yeah, I have two. Well, actually, he only had one because when we, the morning we got there, he had had a plumber there all day, and he said, yeah, it was working fine, and some, for some reason, something's in the pipes. We only have one shower. So there was 30 of us, about 10 or 12 more staying, 15 more staying in a hotel nearby, but I don't know, it was close to 30 of us staying there at the church. And we stayed there for three days, and we had one shower, and no one complained. And it was awesome. I was like, man, we got by on one shower, and, and people were taking showers. Actually, everybody took showers except Carson. He's the only one. And I asked him, is it okay if I tell people that? And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. He's the only one that didn't, didn't take a shower, but he didn't even stink. That's amazing. Young man like that, four or five days, he don't even stink. He ain't even taking a shower. Some of the boys, you couldn't do that, right? So we made sure they got in the shower every day. But you think about the smell of the, the tabernacle. And, and, but, but what helped with the smell was the burnt offerings. The burnt offerings. It's like a barbecue. Lamb. Beef. Being burnt up on the altar. So it helped with the, the smell, but, but also helping that uh, aroma or the stench 
is the in the holy place there was incense rising from the golden altar. And this golden altar where incense was burned was this the last piece of furniture that God put inside the tabernacle. We're also going to see a bronze basin today that was outside in the courtyard as well. And, and as I talk about these things, what I want you to remember, when you hear the word bronze, think of outside. When you hear the word gold, think of inside, right? Bronze is going to be outside in the courtyard, gold is going to be actually in the tabernacle itself, either in the holy place or, of course, the holy of holies. So the first thing, we've just outlined this in your, in your worship guide. If you're taking notes, it's just real straightforward. The first thing is the golden altar of incense. We're looking at uh, verses 1 through 10. And then we're actually going to look at the, the incense in 34 through 38 itself. But the altar of incense, it was small. It was just 18 inches square. It was 36 inches high. It was, it was made out of acacia wood. It was covered in gold. And it was much like the, the bronze altar in the four corners. It had horns coming up. And um, it had rings on the sides for the poles. Of course, we see that on a lot of the other furniture. It's so you don't have to touch it. You can just run the poles through and pick it up and carry it. Because think about this. Remember this tabernacle and what this tabernacle, what this is all about. Why, why, are, why is God instructing the people in building a tabernacle? Because God wants to once again dwell with his people. And so this is a... a a mobile tabernacle. Remember, God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. They've walked through the Red Sea on dry land. They're headed towards the promised land. They're stopped here. They've been stopping. They're going to stop about 11 months at Mount Sinai, receiving the law, receiving instruction from the Lord. But they're going to be headed towards the promised land. So this tabernacle had to be mobile. Years down the road, Solomon's going to build a permanent place, a temple in Jerusalem. But this is mobile. So we have this golden altar of incense. It's placed in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And the incense was to be burned every morning, every evening, as a, as a lampstand was lit. And it coincided with the morning and evening sacrifices. So incense was to be, to be burned. And, and only incense would be burned. He says here in the text that it, they're not free to use this altar any way they wanted, like everything else in the tabernacle, right? There's, there's specific instructions. It's never to be used for burnt offerings. It's never to be used for grain offerings or drink offerings. This was only for incense. And, and the incense that was to be used was only uh, this special blend, this secret recipe, if you will, of spices that's going to be described at the end of the chapter, and we'll look at that in just a second. But in the biblical world, when you think about this altar of incense, you think, well, what's that all about? Well, it must be just to, to take care of the smell. Well, that was one of the, the after effects. Yeah, it was a pleasing aroma, right? Cover up some of the smell of the sacrifices. But that's not the purpose of the, of the incense. We get a little direction. Of what's this symbolized in Psalm 141, verse 2? The psalmist writes, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And we see John the Revelator in, in the book of Revelation. God's given him a vision. He's describing this vision in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, that is Jesus, right? Each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. So it's pointing to the prayers of the people, right? Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Again, more of his vision and another 
angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So you got this altar, this incense going up. And we're like, what's this all about? And we see this elsewhere in Scripture talking about the incense being the prayers of the people. And you say prayers of the saints, prayers of the priest, probably all of those. But this incense is to be perpetually burning, both morning and evening. This incense is lit and is burned, and a fragrant offering is going up to the Lord. So shall God's people, right, be lifting up prayers to him at all times. We see that in the New Testament. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us real, real pointedly, pray without ceasing. Now it's interesting, as you approach the courtyard again, the first thing you see is the bronze altar. And that's very significant. See, to gain access to the Lord, atonement has to be made. And we know on the Day of Atonement, it tells here that the, the, the blood is taken from the sacrifice and it's taken and sprinkled on everything. And one of the things that would be sprinkled on would be the altar of incense to make atonement. Atonement had to be made. The Israelites couldn't fellowship with the Lord unless their sin was atoned for. And the, true, the same is true of us, is it not? Today, we can't have fellowship with the, the Lord, this holy God that we served. We can't go to him in prayer unless something is done about the penalty we deserve for our sin. We need forgiveness through the blood of a sacrifice. And, of course, all of these things, Lilia is pointing us to Christ. And we always ask, what's this teaching us about Jesus? How is this pointing us to Christ? Jesus left the throne of heaven. He took on flesh so he could do what? tabernacle among us or dwell among us and that the bronze altar of sacrifice what is it doing it's demonstrating christ's work of atonement on the cross in which he offered his own body on the tree right as a sacrifice for our sins and then the altar of incense what is it doing it's pointing towards symbolizing not only the, the prayers of god's people but ultimately christ ongoing intercession for his people for us his church think about the new testament what does it describe? How does it describe Christ? So he's at the right hand of the Father, ever living to intercede for us, right? The great hymn we often sing. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. We have to sing that one next Sunday, I guess. But notice the description of the incense. Look at verse 34 through 38. Flick to the last part of the chapter. It actually gives us description of the incense. These ingredients, these sweet spices, were to be mixed, crushed together into a powder. This um, stack tea is, you're trying to find exactly what this is exactly. Um, gum resin from a myrrh bush. And uh, anika uh, is from a shell, a mollusk shell. And, um, galbanum is from a ferula plant. You're like, well, I don't know any of those plants. Says, I don't either. Frankincense is the one that we're familiar with, right? That's from that's resin from a tree in North Africa. So it wasn't a local thing. Something that had to be brought in, traded for. Frankincense is what we're most familiar with. 
and then salt as a preservative, right? But that's mixed together, and it was burned, and it gave a pleasing aroma in the, the tabernacle, right? Symbolic of the prayers of God's people who are depending on Him for everything and pointing us to Christ who, in His intercessory ministry for us. But notice if it's not used rightly, whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. So we had this, the uh, Yankee Candle Company made a, if they had a, a, a candle that smelled like the sacrifice, we'd just call it sacrifice, right? Maybe this candle we would call it um, tabernacle, right? It had all these things together. But the, the problem with having the, the candle, see, Adriana's laughing because she worked at this soap company where they did all this fragrant stuff, mixed all this stuff together. But you couldn't use it outside the tabernacle. If you got the secret recipe, right, you couldn't use it. Look at verse 38. Whoever makes any of it, any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. I mean, think about it. You would be tempted to do that, right? Because in the tabernacle, great things are happening. People are meeting with God. Sinful people are via the priest, right? They're able to, to, to commune with the Lord, the creator of the universe. And what do, you, what do you remember from that event, from that time in the, the courtyard of the tabernacle? You're smelling what? You're smelling the incense. Like, man, I like to smell that at home. You better not, right? You better not, because what it says, it says you'll be cut off from the people. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean you'll be judged, you'll lose your life, or just expelled from the people, probably expelled from the people, but I'm not real sure. It's just not a very good thing. There's consequences, right, to making this thing mundane, to making this thing common. No, this is just for the tabernacle purposes. It's not for you to use at home. No, this is this is because this is holy incense used in God's house for His purposes by His special anointed people. It was holy. Don't make it mundane and routine. To do so would result in you being cast out from the people. The second, the second thing mentioned here in chapter 30 is the, the census tax or the atonement money. Right? Think about building the tabernacle. You remember in chapter 25, God, through Moses, told the people to bring, to bring uh, materials so the tabernacle could be constructed, and they did. So much so, we looked forward to chapter 36 where it says, okay, that's enough. Don't bring any more. We have more than enough to build the tabernacle. So that the construction was funded by the people. And you think, well, where, they were slaves. Where did they get their money? Well, remember, they looted the Egyptians. This is all things taken from Egypt. But what about the everyday, day-in and day-out operation expenses? Who's going to take care of that? Well, what will take place, not only in the Day of Atonement, but there's going to be other festivals, other feasts that God is going to implement, and other tithes that God's going to require His people to give. There's free will offerings where people just, out of goodness of their heart, they felt compelled to give, and so they would give uh, for temple uh, use. But we see also here, there's a atonement money or a census tax taken and that was used also to buy the oil, to buy the you know, Some of them we looked at, some of them we know aren't local spices. Frankincense, for instance, North Africa, 
we have to bring that in. Somebody has to come through. Uh, we have to meet people who are selling those things. Those things have to be purchased. We've already studied in Exodus 13 where the firstborn, whether it be a, a son or an animal, the firstborn had to be redeemed by a sacrifice. We know that Israel as a whole was viewed as God's firstborn son, Exodus 4.22. So the firstborn are mine, says the Lord. But if you offer a sacrifice in their place, you can continue to keep them. But here's a census that is to take place. And the census most likely was the adult males, 20 to 50 years old. These were the fighting men. We see this time and time and time again. In Numbers chapter 1, as the Israelites are heading toward the promised land, there's a census that takes place. That's why the book is called Numbers. There's two census that take place. It's not number, it's numbers. Two census. First, the Israelites who were rescued from Egypt and they get to the edge of promised land, remember, 10 of the spies discouraged the people. They didn't trust the Lord to give them the promised land. So what did God have them do? Wander in the desert for 40 years. And that generation died out, all with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. This new generation, the second generation, they're about to go in. They actually went into the promised land, across the Jordan, engaged in battle, took most of the promised land. There was a census taken of them as well. The first census, it was um, numbered to be 600,000 fighting men. The second census, kind of interesting, also 600,000 fighting men. These are, there, there are times where a census is taken, but it wasn't to be taken flippantly or lightly. And here there's a census to be taken, and when the census is taken, a half shekel was to be given as a, uh, a census tax, or it's called atonement money. To the reason for that in just a moment. But the census weren't to be taken lightly. David took it lightly, and he had a census taken when he was king. Things were going well. He's older in life. He's the undisputed heavyweight champion of kings. He hasn't lost a battle, thinking pretty highly of himself, and he wanted to take a census so he would know how big and bad his army was. And Joab, his commander, tried to discourage him to no avail. The king always gets his way. So First Chronicles chapter 21 tells us that the Lord is angry. And as a result of that, there's a consequence. David was had to choose his own judgment. That's terrible. You know, it's just better. Daddy says, hey, I'm going to whip you for that. That's okay. We can handle that. But Dad says, okay, I'm going to give you some choices here. Nah, don't give me choices. Just beat me, right? <laughs> David was given a choice. Do you remember the story? Most of you remember the story? Hey, you, you, can, you can endure, your nation can endure three years of famine. Second choice, deliver you for three months in the hand of your enemies. Or the third choice, you'll spend three days receiving judgment from me, God. So, of course, David chose the Lord because he knew the Lord was merciful, right? The enemy's not going to be merciful. Three years of famine, that's a long time. He knew the Lord was merciful. And so he chose the third, and guess what happened? You know the story? How many of his own countrymen died? 70,000. Why? Because he took this census flippantly. 
he thought much of himself, or at the least, he was not trusting the Lord, right? Not trusting the Lord that he's going to give him the victory as he had, been, had done time and time again. He wanted to count his men to make sure he had enough. For whatever reason he did it, it was wrong, and the God judged him. You don't take a census casually and flippantly. To do so will cause God's judgment to fall on you. There in verse 12, that there be no plague among them when you number them. So there's a census taken, and when that was taken, and notice it says, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this. And what it means to be numbered literally means, it means literally to, um, to cross a line to step forward saying, okay, I volunteer. And so that's what happened. When, you, when you're when saying, hey, I'm, I'm 20 to 50 years old, hey, I volunteer for the Lord's Army, and I, I'm signing up, and so here's my half-shekel uh, atonement money, temple tax. And this, this became an annual event. If you, um, in Second Chronicles 24, Joash, the king, he ordered this to take place, and it, what happened, it became an annual event and it took place all the way up to the time of Christ. In fact, last week, we read the text during our service, Matthew 17, 24 through 27. Uh, it's when the, those that received the temple tax from the people, they asked Peter, was Jesus not, not going to pay the temple tax? And you remember what Jesus told him to do? Go out, cast a line out. The first fish you catch, look in its mouth, and you're going to find a shekel coin. Take that shekel coin and pay your temple tax and mine as well. And that's exactly what happened. Well, that's, that's this, this census tax, this atonement money that Joash set in motion is going to take place even in the time of Christ. So that's what's, what's taking place here. The third thing we see in chapter 30 is the bronze basin. Think about um, the priest's job. What was their role? Intercede for the people. But if you want to really summarize it down, yeah, they intercede for the people. They were butchers. You think about that bronze, uh, bronze altar when you first enter the courtyard. That bronze altar is where all the sacrifice takes place. It's a very bloody job. It just seems makes sense. Yeah, you're going to have a, a laver a bronze laver or a basin where you can wash your hands before you go into the tabernacle. Not only are you to wash your hands, but Scripture tells us they're to wash their hands and their feet. To not do that would result in what? Verse 20, death. Isn't that interesting? Some of these things are just kind of mundane and ritualistic, but to take them lightly and not do them rightly would result in judgment or death time and time and time again. Now, this washing wouldn't have been washed them totally clean, but what's this washing of hands and feet symbolically showing they needed to be cleansed before they could enter the presence of the Lord? Malachi chapter 3, the context in Malachi, the priest had been disobedient. They have not followed God's law. They're not holy and so Matthew, uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings to the Lord. Malachi here is longing for 
a day when God will purify the priesthood. He'll make them to be like they ought to be, shepherds of God's people, serving the people of God faithfully, doing the sacrifices of God, doing the service of God. And so he speaks of a day when this messenger of the covenant will come and he'll purify the priests, the sons of Levi, and they can offer to God an offering in righteousness. And he's pointing to when, when Christ comes, right? And when Christ uh, came, he purified the sons of Levi in perhaps a, a way that the Old Testament saints could never guess. Lee Duncan, he puts it this way. He says, he brings an end to the offerings of the sons of Levi and offering the perfect sacrifice himself. And he extends efficacy to the hundreds and hundreds of years of offerings that they have offered through the real offering and sacrifice which he renders up to God. He makes all those offerings pure and acceptable for God, as well as the offering up of a sacrifice that will never, ever have to be repeated again. Those priests had to wash their hands and wash their feet before they entered the tabernacle. That's the bronze laver. And lastly, the anointing oil in verses 22 through 33. Much like the, the incense, God commands Moses to make an anointing oil, and he lists here the ingredients, the preparation, and the uses of this anointing oil. There's cinnamon and spice and everything nice here. But again, don't try to make it for yourself, that tabernacle candle couldn't be taken home and used in your own home for ordinary things. There's judgment associated with that. Verse 32, it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person and you shall not and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. So they're making up a lot of anointing oil. This hen is a gallon, so that's quite a bit of anointing oil. You're gonna, everything's going to be anointed with this oil. And the Israelites, they understood that the anointing of the tabernacle, its furniture, the priest, their clothing, it showed that they were setting aside these things for God, consigning them to the, to the realm in this special possession of God. And they're making all these things in a tabernacle holy, set apart. Because that's where God was going to dwell. It's going to meet with his people. So this finishes up these furnishings of the, the tabernacle. So what do we do with this? Um, what's this have to do with you? What's this have to do with me? Well, let's think about it for a moment. I think that primarily, well, we've seen some application, right? The prayers, the incense. Yeah, we should pray and draw near the Lord. Um, we see Christ here, don't we? As the great, greater high priest. We should marvel and worship him as our mediator who lives to intercede for us in glory. But I want us, I think, to see one of the things I think of most important here is the warnings and how we should worship God. We worship God rightly. To worship God wrongly is dangerous. Think about, I know we're in this text, you're, we're going through this furnishing, you're like, whoa, 
teachings. You know, if I'm doing, um, if we're talking about David and Goliath, you know, that's kind of exciting. It keeps everybody on the edge of their seat, you know. Um, if we're going through some other books, it's a little more exciting. But we're here going through the tabernacle and the furnishings. And, and I, I don't want to hop, skip, and jump, right? We want to cover this so you understand it, so you know it. But I think what's happening here is we're seeing the Old Testament, the a law, and the law in the Old Testament is good for us. It helps orient us to the God of the Bible. Without this old covenant and the law, without the scriptures that Jesus read, I think we, we think wrongly about ourselves. We think wrongly about God. So this helps us orient our thoughts to who God is and who we are. And what do we see here in in the text, we see these warnings in verse nine. The altar of incense is not to be used for anything else. Incense. Well, there's going to be a, a a census taken, and when this census is taken, and when you're numbered, you give your half shekel atonement money. Because if you don't, the plagues that fell on Egypt will fall on you and your nation. In verse 20, we see the, the washing of the priest in the bronze basin before they enter the, the holy place. And what that did, Steve, is that kept them from being struck down by the Lord. And there's anointing oil that's to be made, and it's to be made a certain way and used in a certain way. If not, you'll be cast out from the nation. And the, the incense is to be made a certain way, and it's to be used specifically this way and not the other way. And if you use it wrongly, you'll be expelled and put out from the nation. And I think what we're, we learn here is that God doesn't weaken sin. The God of the Old Testament is a God of justice, and rebelling against him is no trifling thing. Our very lives are at stake. But we see the one who pours out judgment, who says, if you do this, you'll die. If you do, the, if you do this wrongly, plagues will be poured out on you. If you do this, you'll be cast out from, expelled from the nation. You'll no longer be considered an Israelite, a person of God, belonging to Yahweh. But the one who pours out judgment on the sinner is the same one who makes a way for atonement. Again, it's no coincidence that the bronze altar is the first thing you encounter when you enter the courtyard. In verse 10, we see the atonement. When the blood was put on the day of atonement, the blood was put on the horns of the altar of incense. We see atonement being made. We see atonement being made when the census was taken. The atonement money was given when you're counted, when you step across a line and sign up, put your name on the dotted line, sign up for God's service, you're paying the atonement money. The basin makes the priest clean there by the, the, the entrance to the, the holy place. So he has to wash his hands and his feet before he can enter. But that basin is put there for his cleansing. And all of these things, what's it teaching us? What's it screaming at us? It's screaming at us that God is just and you need atonement for your sin. God is holy and you need forgiveness. You need a Savior. They're being counted. 
in the temple, you need a savior. The priest entering the tabernacle, you need a savior. You need cleansing. You need forgiveness. You need atonement. What do we need to hear today? What's your neighbor need to hear? Your coworker, maybe your child, maybe your spouse, maybe your grandmother, maybe your friend. They need to hear that God is holy and that they are not. Our Creator is holy and just, and we need a Savior. Jesus is the great high priest whose name is love and who himself entered the holy place with his own blood to make atonement. And what does he do? He lives to intercede for us. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and that's what he does. He's our mediator, he's intercessor, making intercession for us. Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 through 28. It's interesting, isn't it? When we get to the tabernacle part, we keep going every week. We're going back to Hebrews, aren't we? The former priests were many in number. That's the priest we've been talking about, right? The Old Testament priest. Because they were prevented by death from continuing office. They were a priest until they died. But he, this is speaking of Christ in verse 24, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. He doesn't die. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a great high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need. Think about needs. What's a priest have to do? Make atonement, wash his hands, wash his feet. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And, and how, how often did the, the priest have to go in and make sacrifices? Morning and evening, every feast, every festival, day of atonement, right? Over and over and over and over and over. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, points a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus, our great high priest, whose name is love, gave his life so that we could be washed clean, so that we could be clothed in righteousness, so we could approach the Father, not in fear, but boldly because of what he's done for us. You think about all the people had to go through to approach the Lord. He's imminent. He's there. But you couldn't approach him casually on your own. You had to go through the priest. Because of our great high priest, we can approach the Father boldly. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, it's, right, symbolically was ripped in two when Christ died on the cross. Remember all the crazy things that happened? The, the graves, the people that came, rose from the dead, and, and the earthquakes and the darkness, and that, that veil was rent in two. Very important. 
because there's nothing prohibiting us from boldly approaching the throne of grace because, only because of what Christ has done for it. But, the, you know, you may be here and you, you, you can't approach the, the throne boldly because you've yet to be forgiven. You've yet to be clothed in righteousness. You've yet to be redeemed. You've yet to have your sin atoned for because you've yet to bow the knee and yield in submission to Christ. You've yet to repent of your sin and trust what Christ did on the cross as your own. So today, by way of application, I want to encourage you to do so. Maybe you're a child, maybe you're a student, maybe you're an adult. You need to repent. If you can't say, yeah, almost home. We sang the song, almost home. For some of you, you can't sing that. Because I'm singing it, and me, most of you here singing it, it's like almost home. We're like, yeah, can't wait, it's going to be so good. But for some of you, you're just singing, or you're not singing, you're just kind of reading the words. And that doesn't... Right? It doesn't, you can't identify with that because there's no hope for you because you've yet to bow the knee to Christ. Won't you repent today? If you're thinking about that, if you're man, I don't know if I've ever repented. I don't know if I've had my sins atoned for. I'd love to talk to you. You don't have to talk to me, but you can talk to any believer here and say, walk me through this again. Help me understand how I can repent because I want to know the Lord. We'd love to talk to you about that. God's word is, is wonderful and it's profitable and it's helpful for us and hopefully it's been helpful for you this morning. Look forward to talking more about this in our small groups next week. But We worship him, but we don't do so casually. We approach him as he tells us to approach him and that on the new covenants through Christ. But through Christ, we have access to him who gives life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And, and Lord, sometimes we struggle understanding it, knowing how to apply it. Father, we ask that you would help us as we've studied it today to, to leave here and apply it. May we rejoice today because of what Christ has done, the great high priest. And Father, for those here who have yet to bow the knee to Christ and yield to Him in submission, may You do a work in them. May You open their eyes and ears to see their need for You. And may You open their eyes and ears to see how glorious and wonderful You are. Give us grace as we leave, Father. May we be encouraged because we've been together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.